Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before we begin, this podcast is possible by our sponsor at Ambire. The Ambire wallet is one of the top products in crypto asset management. It is the first open source, non-custodial smart wallet that delivers exceptional user experience combined with solid security. With Ambire wallet, users can easily navigate the world of Web3. It comes packed with features like built-in swaps, cross-chain bridges, integrated earning opportunities, and more. In addition, Ambire offers things like human-readable transaction parsing, eliminating ERC-20 approvals and front-running protection. The smart wallet uses gas abstractions that allow for unique features like paying for gas with stable coins. Users can batch multiple transactions to save time and gas fees. The wallet also supports NFTs and allows you to connect to any dApp via Wallet Connect. You can use it with an email and password or add hardware wallets or hot wallets as signers to upgrade your security. And the best part? Ambire speaks human. The UI is friendly and informative, ensuring you understand what you're doing and eliminating risks for mistakes. Ambire wallet users are currently eligible for continuous wallet token rewards. To learn more and get your Ambire account today, visit www.ambire.com. That is A-M-B-I-R-E.com. Before I introduce our guest today, I have a couple of brief updates for our community. Going forward, first, we invite everyone to join us on Twitter Spaces, where we will pre-stream each episode the day before publishing it on all of our distribution channels. And second, we also have a new NFT program with blockchain recorded community NFTs. These can be claimed from our webpage, blockchainrecorded.com. So visit our website, check it out, and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for new cool updates and even potential airdrops. And so now I'd like to introduce our guest today, Travis Cannell. Travis is the head of product for Orchid Labs, where he oversees the development and marketing for the company. Prior to joining Orchid, Travis spent 14 years as a user acquisition manager for Fortune 500 companies such as Intuit and Experian. While at Intuit, he oversaw the launch and development of QuickBooks Self-Employed, taking the product from its initial launch to becoming a core offering for the QuickBooks brand. Travis, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Hi, it's so great to be here, Nina. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for, for coming. Um, so I took, obviously I took a look at, um, your LinkedIn page and I saw that you studied computer science and I just wanted to talk about your background first. Um, and you established your career in marketing, um, namely growth and product marketing. How come, how come you, you continued with marketing? Yeah, I, um, I started in computer science and, um, you know, I, wanted to study that when I was younger. And I got a few kind of entry-level programming jobs, but never really enjoyed that kind of work. Mm. Um, And so kind of early on in my career, I switched over a little bit into doing sales and marketing. And I didn't really like the 
doing complete sales and marketing. But what, what I found is with a computer science background kind of married with some sales experience um, and business experience, um, you know, you can do a lot with growth marketing. You get that sort of, you need that computer science mindset and scientific background to really make sure when you're measuring growth marketing campaigns that you are, um, you know, you're doing that correctly and you are uh, evaluating the numbers, you know, using real data techniques. So, mm. you know, I haven't done much programming since college, um, but I do have a fairly active GitHub where I do documentation for different projects that I'm interested in. And I do play around with a little bit of code, but, um, you know, nothing, nothing serious now. Mm, cool. You know, you, you talk about growth and product. I, I, I actually don't even remember these terms back in college. For me, it was also over 20 years ago. So, um, yeah. marketing, I, I did undergrad and for business school and I just, I don't remember any of this stuff. It's just evolved so much since then. Yeah. Um, and product can mean different things to, when you're talking to different people, but it's, right. um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how things have evolved. Right. So if I'm not mistaken, um, I've, I've also listened to a few previous podcasts you've been on, you were introduced to crypto in 2013, um, or you started paying attention to it. To what extent were you involved um, prior to joining Orchid? You know, I was really just reading about it. Maybe like a lot of people my age, you know, I watched this whole financial crisis mm -hmm. unfold in 2007, 2008. And then I saw, you know, essentially the Republicans and Democrats, I mean, George Bush and uh, Barack Obama just coming together and like asking, you know, how much money we need to, to send to the banks to bail them all out. Um, and I was really dismayed, I think, like a lot of people with that as someone who, you know, kind of believed in markets. Um, I, I would have liked to see a little bit more of, uh, you know, perhaps uh, some companies going bankrupt. So you could see, you know, when, it, you know, when Enron went bankrupt, I think that's when you, that's the only way you can really see how fraudulent a company is. Right. Um, you know, when you bail companies out and you never really have to inspect their books or see if they had bad practices or what was going on. Um, mm -hmm. So kind of, you know, a couple of years after that, um, I remember reading this, you know, of course, nothing happened. There were no arrests. We just created no. all this money and failed <laughs> no. the system out. And, right. You know, and maybe there were some benefits. Of course, there's benefits to that, but there's a lot of negative stuff that brought on as well. And there's no way to really opt out of the system. There's mm -hmm. no way to do anything about that. I mean, there was the sort of Occupy Wall, Wall Street protests, but those were fairly flawed and, and didn't really move the needle that much. You mm -hmm. know, fast forward four or five years later, and I was uh, just, I read this Wired article about Bitcoin. And I think it was when, you know, part of it was about the price. It went from $7 to $30, $35, right. and then back down to seven. It's one <laughs> of the first kind of, um, <laughs> you know, kind of crashes, quote unquote, it crashed down to $7. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's just, how can you not be completely enamored by this story? Mm -hmm. um, there's this uh, kind of, you know, person and no one really knows who it is and you know, created this thing and put this message in there about 2008 and 2009. Mm -hmm. um, then made this, you know, this type of money that has a finite supply and a known supply. And I think that was, there's just a lot of things that were really interesting to me about 
that. Um, so I talked that over with some of my friends. And so it just kind of got on our radar. We didn't really do much about it. Um, mm -hmm. like I registered some bad Bitcoin domains, uh, <laughs> but that, that was about it, you know, and then we just kind of like went on, went on with our lives. But then, of course, it just kept on boomeranging back and back, right? So just every time then that the price would pop, people would start talking about it. And, you know, I just had been reading about it and, and kind of knew about it. So it was, it was just something that I kind of watched from the Santa Monica startup scene. But I also just had no way of getting into it. You know, there was no Ethereum. There was no people really building. Mm -hmm. There was, um, from from my perspective, it was just like you know, water cooler talk about the price. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it wasn't until much later until Ethereum launched. And then there was a bunch of projects that I actually got approached by Orchid. And um, that's kind of how I, I got into the space. And you joined Orchid, what was it, 2017, 2018? I think it was the summer of 2018, if I mm -hmm. yeah, remember correctly. So I, uh, yeah, I had been with... So with this startup called DocStock in Santa Monica, mm -hmm. and I was with them for about a year, and then they got purchased by Intuit. And Intuit kind of kept the DocStock team on in the hole for about a year, and then they closed the office and um, had to let go a lot of people. But they kept maybe 10 or 20% of the workforce. And you know, we kind of I started going up to San Francisco a lot in the Bay Area, working out of the and I got put on a very cool growth team and it was kind of exciting work. So I stayed there, stayed there for a while working on this QuickBook self-employed product that we, you know, helped launch uh, and then grow. Mm, so, so yeah, so 2018, so you've been there for a solid four years. How do you like see, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> like a decade. Like a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> In crypto talk, it's forever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can empathize with that. How do you, I mean, 2018 and now, um, obviously a lot has happened um, just on the macro perspective as well, but how do you see that the crypto space has evolved for you or how you've seen it apart from Orchid? We'll get into Orchid later. So for the, over the past four years. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I guess from one perspective, it still feels really early. Um, mm. You know, I think we're still building out scale we're still trying to solve a lot of the kind of fundamental issues that i think ethereum had with scaling and pricing of transactions and things like that and you know still on that kind of thread of things early is i think we're still looking for kind of real use cases where decentralization gives you advantages uh you know f that are greater than all of the um the difficult parts about, you know, managing your own keys and, um, you know, a decentralized system where you have to assume that a lot of the decentralized participants might be trying to screw you. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think it's an interesting kind of emergence of what's happening lately. You know, I just can't believe over the last year, I feel like every week there's like a major hack. Yeah. Um, and there are hacks and the bridges. Mm -hmm. um, of course, there was the entire, I, I just got back from DevCon and some of my favorite um, sessions were on the L2 bridge that were hacked. And then also some of the, just kind of the major things that happened, of course, with Terra Luna and mm -hmm. the Three Arrows Capital. I think though that combination, I forget who was talking about that in their session, but you know that that's the type of combination of a 
that really gets regulators' attention is if you have this massive blow up and then it affects uh, some mm-hmm. of the financial firms in the space. Um, yeah, so I think, it, yeah, I mean, so I guess just my broad perspective is that we're still, you know, we're still building, we're still um, discovering those use cases. And, uh, you know, it's exciting. The Ethereum community in particular, when I was at DevCon last week, no one's really talking about price or trying to forecast price. Everyone's talking about what's working, mm-hmm. what's not working, what are we building, um, how are we going to solve problems, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. The merge was talked about probably since I started <laughs> uh, in 2018, mm-hmm. and um, you know it 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 went off for for such a major kind of it, effort. You know, it went off really smoothly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely there's been there's like you just said about the Terra collapse. I mean, there's bumps in the road, but like you said, um, quietly building in the bear market. I think for for yeah. some of us who've been around. Uh, you kind of get a little, um, you kind of tune out of it because you know that that the price is not the main focus. It's um, just really trying to fix the glitches and and t- move towards adoption. So yeah, very yeah. cool. I want to just quickly before we move on, I'm just sort of curious about your marketing role. Uh, we haven't actually had um, a guest with the, with this extent of like marketing experience um, in terms of your marketing role in Orchid now versus roles your role is in the traditional Web2 space. I, I did hear you comment in, in some of the previous discussions that you've had that you found it much more difficult. Is that still the case for you, like today? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, to give some more context of, around that, um, you know, when I was working at uh, Intuit, working on this kind of QuickBooks product, you know, mm-hmm. we had an app. When you opened the app, we were using a, a program called Cochava. Right. Mm-hmm. So Coachella was taking uh, your IP address. Um, it was taking uh, anything that you were clicking on. And specifically, right, it was um, also using your IP address or your ad ID, uh, not really your IP address, I think. I might, might be mistaken on exactly the technical specifics, but I think it was, it was taking like this unique identifier for you that identifies that phone. And you know, it's like it knows what sort of ads were being shown to that phone. It knows what ads were clicked on on that phone. Mm. Um, and so a lot of the game sort of doing these attribution models when you're spending large amounts of money um, to try to really understand what what's happening, right? Mm. Especially in a big organization, you have, you have different kind of marketing departments that are all trying to fight over who, like why someone bought something. Like, oh, no, they definitely saw my TV ad and like it's untrackable. (laughs) But I just know Mm -hmm. that they saw this billboard, right? And that's Mm why. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. They saw the character that we made in the billboard and that's why they clicked on something. It's kind of like, well, we actually have a database here of views and clicks Mm -hmm. for each of these people, right? And Mm -hmm. so we can build out these models and it's like, no, no, this person bought, you know, because they saw these four ads. And we can tell which ads are effective, right? So it's, and it's of course it's it's good and it's bad. It's great because you can track everything, and it's bad because you can track everything because mm-hmm. then people can see the numbers. Right. Um, and it's difficult. It's a real difficult thing, even when you have complete tracking. So, you know, a lot of um, coming into Web three, and specifically Orchid, you know, with our mission to connect everybody 
to the open internet um, and, a, and a real privacy focus, you know, we didn't want to have any tracking, no Google Analytics on the website, just nothing in the app. So that was a big challenge, mm. uh, you know, and I think it's still really, yeah, it's still, so it's still really difficult to do kind of the paid acquisition growth marketing um, for a company that doesn't have invasive tracking. Um, it's almost like you need to go back to before that there was that kind of tracking and do surveys um, or, you know, there's always kind of a little bit of stuff you can do just seeing server logs and stuff like that. We even um, clean up our server logs when we look at them, we remove all the IP address information and um, try to be very, very sensitive with um, any data that's being um, collected, even just like from a server that's serving. Um, mm -hmm. But you can kind of see, you know, you can see a little bit. And then of course we have apps in the stores and there's kind of, uh, some data that you get there, right, from Google or Apple mm -hmm. um, that comes with no tracking, you know, no additional tracking code that's in the apps. Um, but then, of course, you know, in the open source community, if people are compiling the code themselves and running it, you just don't don't really know. Um, so you have to kind of come with a different approach. And, you know, Web3 is about building community and about trying to get people that are interested in your mission and then getting, you know, getting them to help. So, um, you know, with Orchid, it's really interesting because for these last four years, I mean, it's just been crazy to see what's happened, you know, mm -hmm. Hong Kong, um, you know, we kind of had like the, um, everything that happened in the Middle East um, mm -hmm. many years ago and like Egypt, of course, what's happening in Ukraine and Russia now. Yeah. Um, what happens in uh, the certain regions of India, mm -hmm. just around the world, um, things start to get kind of hot. The first thing, you know, one of the best kind of tools in the tool belt now is to turn off the internet or censor the internet or block right. um, the access to the open internet so that kind of shut off the sources of information flowing in and out of the situation. And of course, what what's happening in Iran right now, right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, very classic example. It's just, it's hard to know, ex you know, for sure, you know, what, what's happening there yeah. because they're so successful at sort of, of blocking that information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Actually speaking to that actually was one of my questions, um, you know, um, reading Orchid's mission, uh, which, which I quote, uh, which I actually found from your website, it, it says we use web 3.0 technology to offer users better digital privacy today so we can realize the promise of the web 1.0 and explore freely again. So you say that you wish for everyone to get connected to the open internet and just what you mentioned, given the increasing geopolitical tensions and financial instability, which some were probably kind of predictable, it's sort of predictable, but unpredictable. And then maybe potentially even heavier restrictions on the crypto space and like just blocking also blockchains. Um, what could this mean for Orchid's evolution, like in terms of, because this is part of your mission, and if you have all this stuff happening, does this have any impact on on you it guys? means we've got a lot of work in front of us for many, <laughs> many years. Um, yeah. And it's not just going to be a VPN. Right. Um, and, you know, you know, and then there's trade-offs, right? So 
the more secure sometimes you make something, the more private, mm-hmm. you know, the, the more you want to do something that's better, uh, you know, there's trade-offs in terms of like speed. Right. You, know, you could have something that's really very, um, I don't know if secure is the right word, but, you know, kind of private. Like it's, you, it, you could do a lot to try to hide who you are and what website you're trying to connect to, but then it might get so slow that the website won't load or you're going to mm-hmm. get really annoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that we just have, yeah, we got, got a lot of work to do to keep making things, um, that can help people. Yeah. So, that's where like the, the trilemma gets real. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we've, and we've kind of with Orchid, we've really hit that of, we try to nail kind of a really easy to use user experience. Um, and mm-hmm. I think we backed off of that a little bit, but I think, um, you know, ultimately we took a, a strategy to keep our team relatively small and, you know, to, um, you know, our CTO, Jay Freeman, um, talk about this, but, you know, not, you know, we don't really want to, or I guess Jay's not, uh, he's our head of technology, but mm-hmm. he really wants to, um, highlight that, you know, move, move fast and break things, which is a great thing in web two, you know, leads to a lot of hacks and stuff in web three. You might mm-hmm. want to actually hire some people to sit around and think about things and move a little slower. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think when I look at kind of the longer term outlook, I think that, you know, connectivity and how firewalls work and um, what tools we have in the tool belt that we can create to help people, you know, there's uh, a lot to that, you know, there's multiple parts, software, there's hardware, and then there's specific applications as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think we with Orchid, we have uh, the building blocks that we've created for our bandwidth marketplace. And, you know, I think that's going to be applicable to other things. Yeah. So, um, well, let's let's talk about the actual protocol and move on to uh, the explanation of the VPN. I think it's inevitable. <laughs> you talk about it a lot. So, as I understand, oh, yeah. you are, Orchid is not a VPN service company. You know, we need to get that uh, differentiated. Do not run servers, et cetera. Um, Orchid is a decentralized system connecting providers to buyers. Am I on the right track here? Yeah, definitely. And so that's, um, you know, sometimes when I start talking about Orchid, people come up and they're like, well, where are your VPN servers? You know, if the in the mm-hmm. United States, you know, you're under the five eyes jurisdiction, you need to tell <laughs> me and like all this. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, mm-hmm. like we're not a VPN company. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not running VPN servers. We're not. We don't even, you know, when we launched Orchid, we kind of made a point to bring in professional providers from the get-go who would know how to run a very high-speed VPN service. And that was kind of how we started. So we never actually run, I mean, we run test servers and stuff ourselves, but on the production side, um, everything is um, not run by us. So, you know, at, at its core, that's, and that's when we, talk about Orchid as a bandwidth marketplace because it's really like we're just facilitating buyers and sellers, um, you know, essentially buying quote unquote bandwidth, um, mm-hmm. which is you know, VPN service. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of have this decentralized network of providers and they stake uh, OXT mm-hmm. in a, uh, our directory contract, which is on the Ethereum blockchain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have no plans on moving that. It's a very, that's kind of our important contract. And then a user uh, comes to that directory contract and they ask it for a provider. 
and kind of depending upon how much uh, stake each provider gets, they have a better chance. That user has like a better chance of connecting to the largest stake, mm-hmm. which is what we call stake-weighted random selection. Okay. So kind of like when we, you know, kind of zooming out this bandwidth marketplace, we're just trying to keep everyone incentivized, you know, on the provider side to run good servers and to, you know, when they stake OXT, they're kind of buying into the ecosystem and they want the, you know, there's kind of an economic incentive for everything to be aligned. And then on the user side, you know, they're going to most likely get better service and then there's kind of another piece to it, which is our uh, our probabilistic payment piece, mm-hmm. and that really is separate uh, from in a lot of ways from, um, but but it does grant like this power of being able to pay for very small things. So like the user, you know, there's no like multi-year commitment, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is a very centralized thing, or even right. a monthly commitment, or even a large commitment for multiple days or like multiple gigabytes. Um, so the subscription model. Yeah. Or any sort of model where you're like, okay, well, I'll pay you five bucks and you're going to give me great service for the next month. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're kind of trusting that that service is going to stay up, that they're not going to screw you and stuff. And of course, in the decentralized, the decentralized mindset has to be that there's a lot of people out there trying to screw you. Mm-hmm. So you know, the, from the user side, you kind of connect to this directory and you get a provider and then you start sending it these really tiny payments. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, you're kind of essentially getting, I think, 80 kilobytes per off-chain payment. And then you establish your connection. And if it's fast enough and it's working, you know, then you you keep paying that provider. So it kind of makes a liquid marketplace by having these kind of really small payments. So, and this is but, your na- these are your nano payments as you refer to them as, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that, and that's kind of the general architecture of, of our system. So you have the you know the providers staking, and they're kind of with their stakes, um, they're kind of competing against the other providers for the the user deal flow that comes into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And then the users are you know every time they hit the connect button, they're hitting that directory and they're getting you know assigned you know getting kind of stakeated. Uh, assigned to uh, a provider and then they're getting service and mm-hmm. then they're sending you know as they're getting service they're sending these tiny payments and then as soon as they turn the service off you know they're not paying for it anymore mm-hmm. so it's a different kind of business model than typical SaaS, you know monthly subscription model The Blockchain Recorded Podcast is a media partner with the Stronger Together Challenge Initiative. Our collaborative role extends to hosting topic-specific panels to facilitate discussion and perspectives within varying industries related to the Web3 space. Let us have a few words with Laurent Perello, the initiative founder. Laurent, what is the Stronger Together Challenge Initiative? First, we have to mention that it's an ecosystem initiative. In other words, a voluntary movement encompassing leading partners and projects of the Tron and BitTorrent chain ecosystem. What are the main goals of this initiative? The main goal is to demonstrate the powerful together effect. As I used to say, together is much more than a word. It's, uh, it's magic. We aim to show to the world crypto industry and beyond that the Web3 revolution is not about competition, but rather about cooperation. You know, we are really supportive, welcoming, open-minded and inclusive. It's not a marketing speech. 
This initiative is also a way to confirm our long-term commitment, regardless of the bear or bull market situation, and our determination to keep on building every day, guided by a long-term vision and a humanistic philosophy. Thanks, Laurent, for illustrating what Stronger Together stands for. Season one of the initiative successfully ended, while season two is planned to start in December. Let me also mention that panels will be celebrated by NFT airdrops. Stay tuned for further updates. You alluded to um, the probabilistic um, aspect of it, which actually, I'll be honest with you, I was trying to figure it out on your homepage. Um, <laughs> and I'm not a computer scientist, I'm not a technical person, but in terms of the the explanation, how that works and, and, and why, can you maybe just talk a little bit more about that just in terms of, okay, I know nano payments are the central part of your solution stack, but how exactly does, does it work or, or this, this, this probabilistic notion? It's, that's, yeah, that's um, I'd love to, to chat, chat more about that. I think, you know, probability and statistics was maybe not everyone's favorite subject. <laughs> no, um, not mine. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so, and, and we're, we're kind of using um, the law of large numbers uh, to, to send value, but mm -hmm. essentially kind of how it works. And so, first of all, just caveat by saying that this is like, this is a building block that we're using, but this is kind of a separate piece that mm -hmm. we are now promoting as a layer two, layer three. Mm, and okay. we really think that this could be useful for a lot of applications where Maybe a machine talking to another machine needs to send a really small payment. And then I'll further just say kind of narrative wise, you know, we, uh, I think our original white paper was written in 2016 or 2017. We call them sto stochastic payments. Um, you know, live peer came out and took that idea. Mm. So they use probabilistic payments inside their system okay. uh, to pay their providers um, I've seen Athena Networks, which is like a wireless mesh type project. Um, okay. You know, they use probabilistic payments. So there's a few projects out there that I think have taken our idea and used it. Um, we were trying to make it, we're trying to make our probabilistic system a little bit more user friendly and easier for developers to come in and maybe use on their projects. So that's kind of been a big, uh, it's going to be a big focus over the next couple of quarters uh, for Orchid. And um, yeah, so that's kind of like a, a broad overview of what we're trying to do with it. Now, how it works, you know, the blockchain kind of explanation is that it's, you know, it's like a layer two or layer three where you have to take some money and mm -hmm. you kind of put it into our layer, right? So you, you bridge it over or you, you know, you make an account as we call it. Mm-hmm. And that account is essentially like a, we call it like a lottery pot is one way to think of it. And then you can issue lottery tickets from that lottery pot, if that makes sense. And the lottery tickets are like a scratch lottery ticket. And um, most of them are losers, but then a winner, you know, uh, triggers like an on-chain on -chain transaction. Okay. And the general, the general idea is that rather than paying somebody you know, a dollar a hundred times, you give them a one out of a hundred chance of winning a hundred dollars, right? Mm -hmm. Or, mm -hmm. I mean, really just work the probabilities out so that they work. Like rather than sending somebody a dollar, you send them the probability, one out of a hundred probability of winning a hundred dollars. Mm. And that way, if you send a hundred payments, 
you know, you're only going to charge, you're only going to be charged one on-chain transaction fee. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you send a dollar a hundred times, you're going to be charged a hundred transaction mm-hmm. fees. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows you to take any blockchain. So we we've now have this running on nine blockchains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the blockchains we're running on is optimism, which is already really cheap. Right. And so we're making even, you know, many orders of magnitude, even cheaper to send these off chain transactions. Um, and it's very customizable as to the value, you know, because you can, you could make a lottery ticket when 50% of the time or, you know, 0.001% of the time, just depending upon how much value you want to transfer. Because like a scratch lottery ticket, you know, you go to the store, you buy a scratch lottery ticket, the, the two probably important things about that is how much money are you going to win and how likely are you to win it? Mm-hmm. And so with our um, nano payment system, the person sending the payment sets those parameters. And then the person accepting the payment, you know, checks those parameters and checks that you still have money, you know, in your lottery pot on chain. Mm-hmm. So that if they get a winning ticket, they get the money. And, you know, then there's, there's some other little uh, caveats. And we, we require a deposit on the network that, de- that, prevents a kind of double spending uh, issue that can arise uh, depending on when the provider caches uh, winning lottery tickets. But um, in general, we're, you know, kind of think of the scheme as a probabilistic roll-up. So you're kind of using probability to roll up these transactions uh, so that you can have a lot of transactions off chain, but then it rolls up to like one, you know, time when, uh, when, when there's a winning ticket you know, that's kind of when things are settled. Mm-hmm. And then um, the other cool thing about it is that's a one-to-many payment channel. So when you make a lottery ticket uh, as, a, as a user, you know, it's it, any provider will accept that. There's no overhead in like some payment channels. There's overhead of, of like me, Travis, I'm going to open up a payment channel with you, mm-hmm. right? And then we can trade and then we need to you know, undo that kind of when we're done trading and settle up. This is kind of a one-to-many payment channel where I can send you a, a ticket. I can send somebody else a ticket. You know, any provider on our network, you know, can accept a, a lottery ticket. Yeah. So, but we're, you know, we've kind of been working on our DAP to make it a little bit more um, universal mm-hmm. uh, for that so that people can come and, like make an Orchid account on Optimism or mm-hmm. Phantom or Binance Smart Chain or Polygon um, or even Gnosis. You know, I think there's nine of them now that we're on all the EVM compatible chains. Um, right. I was just going to ask you, yeah, you have or Avalanche. Yeah, Avalanche. Um, you know, and then, you know, somebody could potentially, a developer could potentially, you know, make use that for, uh, really tiny payments, either in, you know, for bandwidth like we're doing or compute or storage or something or um, or even like API requests, you know, or other types of, of tiny resources that a user comes and wants to buy something really small, but, you know, you have to shoehorn them into maybe a monthly fee or some other type of way to pay them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just a little little backtrack because you mentioned now your your multi chain uh, strategy. H- how did you? I mean, I don't know if you can talk to this 
um, or if this is more of a developer question, but how did you approach the multi-chain strategy? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I can just talk about from where, you know, my perspective. Sure. Basically, we launched Orchid and right away, you know, right, <laughs> right on Ethereum. And then almost immediately the gas prices like 10 X and then a hundred X, you know, and what, like something that little transactions on Ethereum that used to cost 50 cents suddenly started costing $5 or $50. Right. And for a project that was, you know, really trying to get users um, that might not know much about the blockchain, you mm -hmm. know, and in a hyper-competitive situation where you can buy, you know, for $50, you could probably get a year worth of VPN service from a major provider. Mm -hmm. um, spending that much on just gas, you know, we were like, oh my God. So yeah, no, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to, we knew we had to do something. So we started with um, XDI, you know, before it was business and we, we kind of moved a lot of stuff onto there and basically did the analysis that most of the value, you know, for for Orchid is all in the uh, the provider staking, and the fact that users were making accounts in OXT, which they still can, um, and paying for service in OXT on the Ethereum network, like that wasn't a, a major sort of value driver. So, you know, after we did that kind of analysis, we decided, okay, well, the users could actually pay the providers in a, in in different currencies on different chains mm -hmm. and you know the 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 core thing is that the providers are still going to be staking oxt on on ethereum mm -hmm. by opening up the number of and types of payments that were accepted by providers it's kind of like letting them take visa or mastercard you know etc you know in particular when ethereum got so expensive so that you know gnosis has been very cheap and mm -hmm. then of course avalanche is was cheap, maybe getting a little bit more expensive. Uh, opt optimism is very cheap. You know, pretty excited about some of these ZK EVM that are coming out. I think mm -hmm. they will be cheap and interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so we're just really able, Orca was really able to launch on uh, all the chains that were EVM compatible um, and supported all the right geth calls for the Ethereum client. That's another thing that we kind of learned. You know, actually during the process, Jay found a bug on optimism. Mm. And got a two million dollar bounty. Oh uh, no! <laughs> wow! Because it was like a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a uh, one of those bridge problems that mm. you know would have allowed you to kind of mint an unlimited amount of Ethereum on the Optimism network. And he he did a nice write up on his blog about that. Oh, wow! Um, but that was while he was, you know. Uh, launching orchid on the optimism chain hmm. wow that's awesome yeah so so meaning you're talking about obviously orchid is an evm protocol did you guys maybe think about other frameworks um like cosmos or substrate or i don't know if you're familiar with those yeah we looked at a few of those but it's you know um some of that stuff can be distracting i think mm -hmm. It's it start it starts to get kind of exciting, you know. It's like oh well, this you know you get these benefits, but then there's trade offs like anything, and um, you know we did look at a few of those. Um, I don't have any like specific thoughts on. We wanted to keep our core contracts um, on Ethereum, you know, mm -hmm. um, sort believers in uh, in Ethereum, and it's obviously one of the largest chains, and um, 
think with how the, the merge has been handled and everything, you know, everything is still still looking good there. And um, by allowing the payments to happen, kind of making our nano payment system more flexible so that it runs on any chain, um, you know, that's another thing that we're you know, other projects could use. Um, you know, it's not our nano payment system is not stuck on Ethereum because we launched all the smart contracts and all the different chains. Uh, so it's usable by, you know, you can pay, you know, Matic on Polygon chain for you know, with off-chain tiny payments um, using our kind of system. Sure. But um, we wanted to keep our core contracts, like our staking kind of directory contract and some of the other contracts associated with the service providers, like on Ethereum. Hmm. Yeah, you just mentioned a little bit of a keyword there, like on-chain, off-chain. Just for our listeners, and maybe just to take it a step back, obviously we're talking about smart contracts on Ethereum. It would be good to understand sort of how the main tech parts are glued together. So what's on-chain, what's off-chain, So, and then where the ORCID network comes to play, and how does your L2 integrate? Um, so just sort of like a maybe a nutshell way of understanding all of this together. Yeah. So um, let's see. So basically, when you're running the VPN app, I mean, a you know, a VPN server is essentially <clears throat> a server you connect to, and you run all your web requests through it. I mean, actually, really, any internet connectivity requests go through your VPN. So mm-hmm. you know, and then the benefit there is that any website you connect to, it it doesn't know your home IP address. It's going to know the IP address of the VPN server. Mm-hmm. So the user kind of opens uh, the ORCID app and you need to connect a valid ORCID account. So mm-hmm. that's where the L2 comes in. So mm-hmm. that you, you like the user, the user's responsibility is to move either use our DAP to like fund their own ORCID account. Um, we also have a way you can buy an ORCID account on the Gnosis chain, like within the app. Okay. And, you know, you can, you, it only costs a dollar to get started. It's pretty easy to try out. And mm-hmm. then um, once you have like a valid account, you know, then you have this kind of lottery pot. So that's an ORCID account is like a pile of money. Mm-hmm. And then you're issuing these lottery tickets against it. Mm-hmm. And most of the lottery tickets are off chain, you know, meaning that they're losers. But then the winners go on chain and then value is transferred from the user's lottery pot to the provider's wallet, Mm -hmm. if that kind of makes sense, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, of the payment layer. And then so then when the user goes and they connect to a provider, um, that's kind of where the stake weighted random selection comes in and the directory contract. So the user looks on the Ethereum chain and looks at the, you know, when they ask for a VPN connection, then the providers all stake OXT and then the providers list their gateway. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, basically there's kind of a random selection event that happens that's stake weighted depending on the staking, the, how big the stake is. So if like there's a big provider that has one third of the total stake, there's a 33% chance that you're going to connect to that provider, if that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. And okay. then once you... Um, a provider, you know, you kind of go through a connection dance um, and then establish VPN service with that provider and start sending them payments and they start forwarding your packets and you get that VPN benefit. 
And um, I'll, I'll you know, say like, it's, it's kind of nice, you know, when you, when you have a VPN company and you connect to the same VPN all the time, you're going to use the same IP address. Like with Orchid, you're kind of getting this, there's this randomized event that happens. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of randomly connecting to these different VPN servers and, you know, your IP address is kind of constantly shifting. Mm-hmm. And then also Orchid has this really cool feature where you can actually string multiple VPNs together. Mm. And I could talk a little bit about that, but I just want to get back to kind of the core architecture of Orchid and how we run this VPN network and um, this bandwidth marketplace. And yeah, that'd that's be great. Kind of, sure, sure. You know, that's, kind of, that's kind of how it works. So you mm-hmm. have a, if a provider wants to come and run our Orchid server. Mm-hmm. You know, they can get the code, they start running the, the server, and then they have to stake OXT in the directory contract, um, mm-hmm. kind of get set up, and then they can start you know, they'll start getting connection requests. There's some other little detail in there. That, like we have a we have a kind of a curator system, which is sort of like a blacklist of providers. Uh, if there's a provider that we know is is not doing a good job, we'll kind of kick them out of our curator, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, which we haven't had to do yet. And um, but we do have like a kind of a curation system, and of course, users can run their own curator or pick a different curator if they want. Uh, mm-hmm. But Orchid kind of runs an official curator of the nodes. Um, you know, that basically we don't, <clears throat> you know, if there's any nodes that we say are bad, you know, we'd put them in that sort of curator. And um, so that's a little bit of a filter as well when you're connecting to these providers. Yeah, just that's that's kind of the, the general part of it. So you have a decentralized network of providers. They come in, they stake OXT, they get connection requests. They're kind of, the providers are kind of you know we sometimes we throw around this term adverse staking but they're kind of advertising with their stake to get Mm. deal flow Mm. and um, that's kind of how the incentives of the marketplace uh, are set up on the provider side Mm -hmm. and then the users come in and you know they just want to get connected to a provider that has you know good service and will work for their use case and so they they connect and um, you know then they start getting that vpn benefit uh, their IP address will change to the provider's IP address. And, um, you know, if they're in a country that's behind a, a crazy firewall, you know, they'll get out of that firewall and they'll get access to the open internet. Mm-hmm. Question there in terms of, so Orchid's mobile app, which actually you, you can download it um, in the Apple store and also on Android, right? I mean, it's downloadable via just a, any regular phone. It also acts as a wallet. So where users actually hold their tokens needed for service payment. Is that, I might get this, get, getting that right. It's actually a wallet. Yeah. Well, the, or it's, um, it's not really like, so it's like, uh, if, if you imagine a layer two, mm-hmm. you know, um, you, you kind of, or kids, I guess a little bit different, but like, um, the first thing to think about is layer two does use a wallet you know, but then you move funds on from one chain to another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Orchid kind of has that. So you're, you know, you take some money and you put it in your account. And that's essentially like sitting in um, a contract on that, on that chain. And it's sort of, you know, you, you can then take your money back out again. So whether it's custodial or non-custodial, it really just depends on the wallet that you connect to move money into and out of your Orchid account. So at the base level, mm-hmm. it's like it's up to you. Like mm-hmm. you could use your whatever wallet you want. You connect it to our DAP. You move money into your Orchid account, 
And then to move money out of that Orchid account, you need to connect to that wallet. Right. Okay. So much like how, you know, it works, just kind of moving money onto the Polygon chain you mm-hmm. Know, mm-hmm. from Ethereum to the Polygon chain or into Avalanche or, you know. Okay. Yeah, you actually, th- that was good. Um, you explained a lot of a lot of the questions that I had um, in terms of the architecture. Just in terms of privacy, you know, we talk about centralized VPNs, decentralized VPNs. Obviously, you guys are decentralized, not really a service. Um, just as a, from a layperson's perspective, I don't know if this question would make sense, but how secure is your VPN really? I mean, it has to be secure. Yeah, I mean, yeah we have kind of a more technical in-depth explanation in our facts that I, you know, people that are really into that, you know, should go read there. Mm, um, okay. You know, what I'll say is when you talk about privacy, the first question is privacy from who? Mm. You know, like if you're looking for complete anonymity from everyone, you know, that's really tough, obviously, when you're talking about major world powers um, and their associated kind of apparatuses and what from what we know of like the revelations from Snowden about what they're they're doing and how they're looking at Internet traffic. Um, so privacy from that, obviously, is like if that's what you <laughs> want to be private from, uh, that's going to be incredibly challenging. But, you know, w- or on the other end, like what if you just want, you know, you're connecting to a, uh, a coffee shop's Wi-Fi and you want to be private from that coffee shop? Yes. Owner, yes. Right. Who, who can like might be able to see is in a, you know, in, in security, we call it a, an advantaged position. But mm-hmm. when you connect to somebody's Wi-Fi, they're an advantaged position. Mm-hmm. Um, they can see what types of requests you're making. They can learn a little bit about your device. And, um, you know, there's certain cases where they could like intercept, do there's different hijacks attacks and different things that they could try to do. You know, so if you want to be private from that, you know, kind of scenario, VPN works really well by encrypting your traffic and sending it somewhere else. So that internet service provider, whether it's a coffee shop or your cell phone provider or, you know, a Cox cable, or, you know, if you're in a different country, you know, typically that ISP might be run by the government of that country and firewalls and stuff like that. But anyways, they won't be able to see exactly what you're doing, you know, and so you're getting some privacy from that ISP. Mm, So, and then there's one other thing I'll touch on the security aspect. And I talked about this a a little bit, but you know, when you go multi-chain, so there's kind of the magic number, which is three VPN nodes Mm. and Tor, which is a project that, you know, we um, uh, appreciate a lot at, at Orchid and, Tor has, you know, th- sends your traffic through three VPN hops. The reason is because if you imagine the VPN itself is an advantaged position, if you connect to one VPN node, it can see your IP address and it can see the website you're connecting to and it could log that. Mm. And so, of course, all these VPNs say, well, we don't log, right? But <laughs> who knows? But they do. Um, and then, you know, it's not you know seemingly the best ones say like, well, no, look, we went to court and we told the court that we we don't log and you know, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know, another way to go there is to actually send your traffic through three VPN nodes, and that way, any one VPN node or any one node on this network doesn't have a of a whole picture, right? So the first node is going to know who you are, mm-hmm. but then. 
they don't know what website you're connecting to. They're just like, oh, I'm just kind of forwarding packets onto this other VPN server. And then there's a VPN server in the middle that's like, well, I know who the first node is and the last node, but I don't know who the user is and I don't know what the website is. Mm. And then the last node just knows the website really that it's connecting to. And so it's a way of, you know, keeping the information sort of compartmentalized. Um, mm-hmm. That's how Tor has been really successful, you know, and, and that's so Orchid allows you to make multi-hop routes and you can make a three-hop route. And each time you connect to a three-hop route on Orchid, you know, you're kind of going through this random selection process, um, which is interesting. So, yeah. And then, you know, for the specific security guarantees, you can read about that on, um, you know, on our fact, we have a little bit more technical detail there. Yeah, th- that was good. Uh, one of my next questions was about the the multiple hopping route feature and why it's important. So uh, that was great. Well, cool. We, t- we actually, we talked about a lot. So we talked about the app and the, the DAP and nano payments and sort of the, the core components of the ORCID network. Just maybe taking it a step back from, from all the technicals. I didn't ask this yet, but in terms of ORCID's employee structure, just totally taking a different macro dive. Um, how big are you guys now? Like, what's your team size? Yeah, so we are kind of kept it fairly small. I want to say somewhere in the probably 20 employee range. Um, we have a lot of contractors and, and different, um, you know, people that we work with on the marketing side, development side. Yeah, so kind of like mid-20s. Cool. What's your what's your structure like? I mean, we were talking about centralized versus decentralized. Are you guys decentralized? Well, yeah, I mean, we used to have an office in San Francisco, um, but then after kind of COVID and mm, fires okay. and stuff, we kind of closed that down. Oh, the so, fires. Oh, wow. Also that? Yeah. <laughs> kind of all hit at the same time. Oh, no. Well, cool. Um, just, I'm just sort of just thinking through in terms of, I think we've covered a lot in terms of the architecture. Can you let us in maybe on on sort of the roadmap for Orchid or maybe visions for next year? Can you share it with us anything? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, I think we're gonna we're working on now of um, talking about our nano payments and mm-hmm. getting some getting that in front of some developers and some other use cases. Um, you know, like I said, there's other projects that have taken the idea and implemented it themselves. Right. We want to see if there's anyone out there uh, that wants to actually kind of use it, uh, use our version of it, uh, kind of off the shelf, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's interesting to us. And then we're just working on other decentralized pieces um, besides just bandwidth, you know, that you know, is kind of aligned with our mission. Mm-hmm. So and I don't you know, have a whole lot more to say other than that. Um, but I think over the next six months will be, you know, doing a fair push on, on our sort of nano payment system and getting that out there a little bit more. Very cool. Um, well, Travis, is there, is there anything to add that I actually have, I haven't asked you and that you would like our listeners to know or have to have like some takeaways? No, I think, um, I think it's been a really good discussion uh, you know, hopefully it's been, uh, enlightening to your listeners about how kind of orchid works and, and, uh, the VPN, you know, I'd encourage people if you're in the blockchain space, uh, you know, download the VPN, go to the Apple store, go to the Android store, search for Orchid VPN, you know, download it, buy uh, an account for a dollar, uh, use it, tell us what you think. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty quick and easy to get started. And it's amazing that that's sort of like a, a 
of real blockchain product. So mm -hmm. I'd kind of leave it with that. And then also if anyone's interested, any developers out there that are interested in using our payment system or if um, anything when we were talking about sort of lottery tickets or probabilistic payments, if that's interesting, love to chat with them. So, you know, I'm on uh, Twitter at, at Travis Cannell mm -hmm. and um, we're at Orchid Protocol. So those are probably the easiest places to get, get a hold of us. Awesome. Uh, well, Travis, thanks so much. I, I really enjoyed having this talk. I, as I think you have not only a great but super relevant product for today's privacy solution need. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's important to have these conversations and um, also dive in maybe more technically, just like how you did today. Um, so I'm super curious to see how you'll evolve and best of luck with that. Thanks so much, Nina. It's been a, it's been a, a huge pleasure to be on here. And um, thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Travis. Thanks again to our guest, as well as thank you everyone for listening. A big thanks goes to Coin Market League for co-sponsoring this episode. Thank you also to the Baria Music team for providing their music. You can check out their latest album on bariamusic.com. You can find all supporting information on our website, blockchainrecorded.com, and listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Stay healthy and tuned for our next episode.